Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As Vicar stated at the start of the service, we are completing our sermon series that we've called A God-Lived Life. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen that God wants us to be managers of his blessings. The blessing, first of all, of his truth, uh, the blessing of our time and our talents, and today we'll talk about the blessing of our treasures under the title, A Life of Shrewdness. So you hear that word, shrewdness, or shrewd. If I asked you right now, could you use that word properly in a sentence? Maybe some of you could. You've probably heard it used. I'm afraid that, that maybe our usage in modern day of the word shrewd tends to make it more of a negative thing. You might hear it described of the business person who made shrewd decisions, right? Maybe even figuring ways around a little bit of the regulations to make themselves a little extra money. Maybe you could call a, a person who goes to a yard sale uh, a shrewd person if they find an item whose value is quite a bit greater than the price tag that the person who's selling it has put on it. We could call a, a coach shrewd if he figures out a way to kind of not break the rules but get around the rules by the way he designs a certain play or certain things that happen for his team. You see, that word shrewd often has this connotation, this concept of a little bit of dishonesty that's connected with it. But in and of itself, being shrewd is not a bad thing. And that's why Jesus uses the word in our parable today. It's talking about using good judgment. Especially, Jesus is going to talk to us when it comes to how do we think properly about using the blessings that God has given us, particularly the material blessings God has given. And so today, as we listen to Jesus' parable that Vicar read earlier in Luke chapter 16, we'll talk about what it means to live a God-lived life that is a life of shrewdness. And we can make these two points from Jesus' parable. It starts with recognizing our blessings as a gift from God. And then secondly, putting them to good use. I want you to listen with me again to Jesus setting up this parable in Luke chapter 16, the first two verses. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. This parable of Jesus that starts in Luke chapter 16 is in the middle of two chapters that are, are full of Jesus' parables. Pa chapter 15 has three of Jesus' more common parables that people know about lost and found things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, the lost son, and the rejoicing in heaven over even one sinner who comes to faith. In chapter 16, Jesus tells two parables that start with the exact same phrase, there was a rich man. And this one in chapter 16 will be our focus today. Do you remember this description of parables? Sometimes they're called earthly stories that have heavenly or spiritual meanings. In other words, what Jesus did when he taught in parables is he took something known, something concrete, something people understood so that he could teach an abstract spiritual truth. Here's something interesting. When you read through Jesus' parables, you might discover that quite a few of those parables actually 
upend the way people in Jesus' day might have thought. Jesus will say some things that are the exact opposite of how people think in the world. At the end of this parable, the Pharisees actually sneer at Jesus' teaching because they loved money. And Jesus says to them, what you value, what people on this earth and this world value is actually something that's detestable to God. So here's Jesus' real life story. He takes the account of someone who manages wealth for a rich man. And he doesn't tell us exactly how, but somehow that manager was not doing a good job. Maybe he was benefiting himself. Maybe he was simply not carrying out his duties well, but he mismanaged the job that he was given to do. It's interesting in Jesus' parable as well that the, the, the owner, the rich man, calls the manager to account. He, he asks him, what, am, what I'm hearing about you, can you defend yourself? Is, are these things true? And when he calls him to account, the evidence obviously shows that he has been mismanaging. He has been unfaithful in his duties. He's been less than honest in what he was supposed to carry out. I suppose if we are going to take a modern-day example, um, you probably know that, that many of the restaurants that you go to, fast food restaurants, are managed by people at the location and owned by someone else. So just for our purposes today, we'll take a sandwich shop, right? So the manager of the sandwich shop doesn't actually own it. He is the one that's entrusted to take care of it for the one who does. And you can probably understand that if the manager isn't doing a good job, if he's somehow misusing the position that he has or, or being a little bit negligent in his duties, he's probably not going to keep his job for very long. And that's what happens in Jesus' parable. The man is called to account. He cannot make the, the accusations go away because they're accurate and the evidence is against him and so he's fired. You cannot be manager any longer. And here's where Jesus starts driving home the point of the parable. The, the manager starts thinking, now what? What's my next step? What do I do now? Well, Jesus tells us in the parable, verses 3 and 4. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. You get the idea that this manager is a fairly sharp guy. He comes up with a solution pretty quickly. First of all, he's very honest with himself. He knew himself. He says, well, I'm not cut out for going out and digging. And I certainly don't want to have to beg for things. So I got to come up with something. And here's what he came up with. He began slashing debts. The people who owed the rich man, his master, the people that owed the owner money, he said, make it less. In one case, he cut the bill in half. In another case, he cut the bill by 20%. And can you understand his thinking? When his job is gone, when he no longer works for this owner, this rich man, maybe some of the people that he helped, some of the people that he gave this reduction in debt will be in line to help him. will be able to get him back on his feet. He tried to make friends with people before he ended up fired. Again, 
whether he's right or wrong in what he did, that's not really Jesus' focus. You almost have to admire, don't you, the way he could come up with a workable solution so quickly? I'm going to make friends with wealth that's not my own so that I can land on my feet after this is all over. Yeah, his attitude was less than what we would say is God-pleasing. He wasn't using his own wealth to make those friends. He was cheating one more time the owner of all of those things. But what he did made sense. And so Jesus challenges us. He challenges us by the way that this man could think about using his own wealth for benefits to consider how we use our wealth, to consider how we think about the blessings that God has given to us. Are they only for us or does God give us those things for others as well? We know how hard that question is to answer, don't we? Because deep down we know that God tells us that everything that we have belongs to him. But we want to think about it as our own. That's our natural attitude that every single thing that we have belongs to us. We are by nature selfish and self-focused, preserving of ourselves. I know I'm running the risk of Maybe people not knowing this movie anymore because it's from a while ago. But do you recognize this is a scene from Finding Nemo? You might remember the seagulls see little Nemo and, no, it was Marlin, and Dory on the, on the, on the, the pier and they say, mine, mine, mine. I'm sorry, I can't do the voice, but, but you get the idea, right? And I don't know if they were, knew they were making a spiritual point, the writers of that movie, but they certainly are, aren't they? That's how we think by nature. That everything is ours, that it belongs to me, that it's mine. I get to do with it what I want. I get to manage it any way I want. And then we hear the Bible tell us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And we realize that every single gift that I have, whether it's my talents, my time, the truth that God has given us, or yes, even our treasures, Those are things that belong to God. And when we remember and recognize the source of our blessings, it's then and only then that we will answer and ask the question properly, how does God want me to use the blessings that he's given me? You see, what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's moving us away from wanting to get to wanting to give. And he does it in a pretty unique way. Take a look at verses 8 and 9 of the parable. The master commends the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's almost a little Strange to listen to Jesus' words in this parable, isn't it? That he commends the manager for doing something dishonest. But you know that Jesus isn't for dishonesty. He's not praising the man for misusing what he was supposed to manage. Instead, what he's praising is the man's shrewdness. That he was shrewd in his decision, decision-making. That he was wise in the way that he thought about planning for his future, making friends. That word wise in the original Greek language comes from a a word that is all about the mind. It's of the mind. 
And so, I suppose we could say, here's a person who used the power of his mind. He used his intelligence. Maybe, instead of shrewd, which we don't always think of in a great light, maybe the word savvy might come to mind. That's what this man was. He had things figured out. And that's what Jesus commends. That's what Jesus points to. Jesus' point is, listen, this man knew what he was doing. He knew how to make friends. He knew how to land on his feet. And that was wise of him. And what Jesus says next, it's almost hard to hear. He's talking about our use of wealth. And his comment is pretty hard-hitting. The people of this world are more shrewd than are the people of light. Wow. The people of this world get it? They get how to use material wealth in a way that's better than how God's people use it? Maybe we can understand Jesus' point if we think of it in these terms. The people of this world use wealth for one purpose, to benefit themselves, to get ahead, to make sure everything is going right in their lives. And you and I as Christians, we sometimes find ourselves caught in between two different worlds, sort of yo-yoing back and forth where, where we know that God has given us our wealth and there are things that we do in this world with that wealth. Taking care of our needs. Enjoying life. But then we also know that God has given us a responsibility to use that wealth to think about things that are more important than this life. And as we go back and forth, it's hard to do both of those things well at times. You see, what Jesus wants us to think about is investing, making an investment on things that last forever. Yes, it's okay to use the worldly wealth that God has given us for our blessings in this life. But God doesn't want us to lose sight of what's more important. The idea of making friends for eternity, the idea that we would use wealth to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed, that more and more people hear that gospel message, that's what Jesus is pointing to. I mentioned that there were two parables that started, there, is a, there was a rich man in chapter 16. The next one is Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember that parable? The rich man has all of the good things in his life and and Lazarus is forced to beg because he has nothing and the rich man won't give him anything. And then when their lives end and the rich man, who didn't obviously have faith in Jesus, ends up in hell and Lazarus, who did, ends up in heaven, things get flipped around again, don't they? Because it's Lazarus who now is with Jesus for eternity and the rich man, in spite of all of his wealth, has nothing. See, that's what Jesus is reminding us of. That this life is temporary, but eternity is forever. Jesus makes these two points as he finishes up the parable. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus drives home the points of the parable with those two statements. Those two points that he makes. First of all, that we are entrusted with the things that God has given us. That means we're managers. Everything that we have belongs to God and he's given it to us to manage. Not just physical blessings, but spiritual blessings too. 
the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that we know are ours, when we put those things in proper perspective, then we'll handle the blessings that God gives us well. And then Jesus' warning, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Don't we know how easy it is to make money, to make the things of this life our God? It's why we get frustrated, isn't it, when the cost of goods goes up, when a gallon of gas spikes by 75 cents in one week, because we start thinking, I'm not going to have enough. It's not going to be enough. We make the physical blessings of this life our God when we think, I would truly find happiness if I just had this, if I just had a little bit more, just a little bigger cushion in my bank account, then, then I would be truly happy. You know what's not easy. It's not easy to remember the riches we already have because they're unseen. We can't see forgiveness of sins and life eternal like we can see the number in our bank account or see what's happening with our stock portfolio. But when we take stock in what's truly important, in what truly has value in this life, that's when we'll put things into proper perspective. Consider this. The manager in the parable slashed people's debts 50% for one, 20% for another. Jesus didn't just slash your debt. He canceled it completely. And he didn't do it by simply writing it off. No, Jesus canceled your debt by taking your place. Jesus canceled your debt completely because he paid what you and I owed. He paid for it on the cross with his very life. And he rose from the dead to guarantee that that sin is gone and paid in full. It's that. That knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. Faith in the forgiveness and eternal life that is ours that helps us make the right decisions when it comes to using the blessings God has given us. It helps us ask that question, how do I use the blessings God has given me with eternity in mind? feel so privileged to be a part of our chapel family because God does amazing things in this place. I look out at people who are sitting in front of me today who care so much about making sure that our college students have a place that we call a home away for home from that for them where they can not only get meals but be fed by God's word too. I marvel that, that God continues to allow this place to stand in the middle of a campus where maybe eternal things are the last thing on people's minds, but we've provided a place where people can hear of where true riches are found. I marvel that there are so many people who give of their time and of their resources to make sure that that word of God continues to be heard. See, that's Eternity. That's giving with eternity in mind. We have students that go from this place all over the world and take with them the faith that has been fostered and strengthened here in this building. What a blessing that God has given us an opportunity to serve Him with our goods and, and the blessings He's given us for eternity. Here, here's what Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Jesus encourages us today to store up those treasures in heaven. Some takeaways. Number one, we are managers of the blessings God gives us, including our money. He's the owner and we want to reflect his wishes for us as we use the blessings he's given. Number two, how we use our money is something that matters to God because he has been rich to us. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And finally, number three, God wants us to use the blessing, blessings he gives us with eternity in mind. This life is temporary, but eternity will last forever. And God gives us the blessings he has to use with that eternity on our minds. God continues to pour his blessings into our lives day after day. Maybe you've been privileged to see something like this. Uh, living in La Crosse, Wisconsin for as long as we did, we got to see the lock and dam system of the Mississippi River in action from time to time. And it is truly amazing when they lift those locks, when they lift the floodgates and let the water pour through. The power of that water, the gallons and gallons and gallons of water uh, that come, the rushing sound. And what I love about that is it's a great picture of what God promises to you and me. To his Old Testament people, when God challenged them to continue to use their gifts with eternity in mind, to, to bring to God what was required of them, God said this, test me. Test me in this and see if I won't pour out so much blessing as I open the floodgates of heaven that you will not have room enough for it. That's God's promise to you. He continues to pour his spiritual blessings and his physical blessings into our lives. Recognize where those blessings come from and then use them with eternity in mind. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.